This is a podcast from the Poetry Society. Well, hello. Um, I'm here, Joelle Taylor, with the incredible Sabrina Malfoos in the basement of the Poetry Society on busy Betterton Street in Covent Garden. And thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having uh, me. Sabrina is, of course, um, an award-winning poet and playwright and essayist and performer. And we've invited Sabrina in today to talk specifically about her new collection, which is called How You Might Know Me, and is released on the 26th of October on Outspoken Press. Um, So this is a really interesting um, collection, not just of the kind of the form of poetry you work in, but the subject matter. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, um... So it's uh, four characters that make up the, all the poems in the book. Each character's got ten poems each. And um, they're four women, all of who work in an area of the sex industry in London. Um, and it looks at some of the work that they do from their perspectives. And also just about their general life that has nothing to do with their work in many of the cases. But it's just them as people. Um, it came about from a number of things and I used to work in strip clubs myself at university yeah. so I've written quite a lot about that and so this is just maybe the final thing that I will ever do about strip clubs and <laughs> trying to, to leave it alone now um, and then I've also worked for a number of years with women who are currently in the sex industry and doing creative writing workshops and um, volunteering and things at certain organisations and support centres and then also women who have exited the sex industry and um, are trying to campaign for it to be legislated in a certain way but then also with people who disagree with that Hmm. opinion and campaign for it to be um, completely legalised and and treated as a normal, normal working industry so so really working with people on, on all sides of it and, and finding the debate and the realities around the whole um, industry and, and issues really really so complex and mm. so interesting and important that um, I felt like the only way to, for me to fully explore them would be through these different characters voices so that um, you can actually see the sides um, that people might be considering Okay, wicked. So what initially compelled you to begin writing? I know you're saying you were working when you were studying for your MA, that you were working in strip clubs and trying to raise money that way. So what was it about those stories in particular? You could have focused on a number of things. You could have talked about the men who go to the clubs or you could have talked about the drug industry, any of those things. What was it about these particular women that inspired you? Um, Well, the one character in in How You Might Know Me who works in a strip club, um, what... I've taken for her story is something which obviously doesn't apply to everyone who works at a strip club at all but this is just a very specific character with a specific story as as they all are and you can never represent um, an entire group of people um, mm. although that is often expected when that group of people is underrepresented um, in general but uh, so Darina who's the character from the strip club she's actually somebody who's come from outside the UK um, it's never uh, specified from where and comes here and works here and she suffers a series of sexual harassment experiences from her bosses at the shops that she's working at and and jobs that she's doing um, which 
I think is something that is really really common um, mm. and you don't need to have worked with anyone who's working in the sex industry or have worked in the sex industry yourself to know that that is common in mm. all industries sexual harassment um, all industries all schools all universities everywhere yeah. unfortunately she kind of finds herself without a job and, and she starts to work at a strip club and actually because um, she's never been able to be honest about her sexuality she actually finds um, a strange sort of freedom of working in a strip club because she is just with groups of women who are so free with each other and yeah. actually she's able to admit for the first time that actually she is attracted to women that is actually what she would prefer to be doing in life is having relationships with women rather than the men that she hasn't actually liked very much um so it's just trying to explore that these experiences although they can be considered negative in general can have positive aspects to them and, yeah. and there's always small p bits of empowerment that people find even in situations that might be considered disempowering to other yeah, people completely completely nothing that's particularly true of writing around women's issues um so like most people I know most poets we've all got a poet voice we put on a little bit of a poet voice even if it's just kind of like I go a bit more northern or you know people sound a little bit more kind of like that but you have poets voices it's like you've got an army in your mouth so when you do a sort of half hour set you're introduced not just to um, writing from the heart of these characters but it's like they're in the room I mean you're, you have this ability so when you're writing are you speaking at the same time um that's interesting um yeah sometimes I am actually not as I'm writing but after I've written I will always say it out loud so yeah I'm often just uh mumbling that's why I don't have a shared workspace anymore it's just like really awkward um but yeah um I don't know that's just how I I hear it I hear them speaking in my mind. My family yeah. are from all over the world with all sorts of different accents and um, nuances to their speech and I think that's always fascinated me so that's probably what's influenced um, my interest in writing um, with those distinct voices. Mm. I mean, you, that's a really interesting book because you're also included in um, the absolute smash hit of 2016 which is a collection of very timely and important essays um, post-Brexit on uh, racism within the UK and in, indeed in the world and in, in terms of the immigrant experience in this country. And you have an amazing article in there, which from the outside, when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, how is that going to work? Can you explain a little bit about your essay within this book? How immigration has affected fashion, UK fashion, I think it's a very large area, so nobody's really gone into it yet so there wasn't actually much for me to look at so I ended up just going on Amazon and looking at what was the top selling clothing yeah that was <laughs> really interesting as well because um unexpectedly the top item of fashion clothing for me was it's the white t-shirt and that's a huge staple of queer cultural clothing as well you may have noticed but what you say about it is interesting you say you compare the white t-shirt to basically like a projection screen that people can sort of project their cultural identities onto were you surprised mm -hmm. at that outcome yeah, really surprising. I was not thinking of Amazon as the um, barometer of British style at all, <laughs> by the way, just to, to make that clear. It was just a, 
it was almost like a humorous aside to the fact that I couldn't find much literature on this thing that I went onto Amazon more as a mainstream yeah. UK fashion rather than style necessarily um, but yeah I was really surprised at the popularity of the white t-shirt and apparently it's always been the number one and um, the endurance that it's had but when I started thinking more about it like you're saying the queer community and um, the immigrant community and just so many um, people have taken the white t-shirt as their own. Mm. Um, so it's I quite mean, interesting. just from reading the essay, what struck me is well, it's pretty obvious, obviously, that, that uh, Britain is an island and it is formed on immigration and the fact that we are all immigrants, every single person living here. Um, and it's interesting to watch this kind of migration of fashion items. More interesting to see how this culture has appropriated and taken many things. So my question to you, which is quite a difficult one, is what are your thoughts on language itself or the poetry and how UK poetry has taken influences from around the world and yet not kind of really, um, I guess, acknowledge that? Yeah, that's a difficult one. Sorry. Um, <laughs> right. um, I think the, the thing with appropriation, it, it's really so much more complex than people are currently allowing it to be there's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to a lot of things I think sometimes and social media and stuff but um for me I feel like appropriation is is just extremely negative when there's no recognition given to where that thing has come from Mm. and there's also um a general mistrust dislike hatred towards that place where that thing has come from and yeah. yet you will still take that thing but that in all it, that doesn't apply to all of the cases where cultural appropriation has been cited i don't think um but anyway so in terms of the the poetry aspect of that gosh i i don't even really know because i studied literature and every person that we studied was either British or American mm. um, and then I did classics so yeah. so there was a lot of recognition of the Greek and Roman literature so I suppose that's kind of where British literature doesn't feel any um, any way about recognizing that influence yeah. and they're very happy to cite the Greeks and the Romans as influences and um, even find to appropriate it completely and and, um, translate it or just constantly be doing translations which I would also like to do so I'm part of that I love it Um, but in terms of going back further than that never really saying well actually the only reason we have these Greek um, plays is because um, the Arabs decided to write them down for us or you know never kind of giving anything past greek and Greece that's and when the world started <laughs> yeah, that was the, the beginning started. of civilization people exactly so i think that that's my main thing is that um when you're studying even to uh, university level unless you go to a particular university and study a very particular uh, course you're always going to sort of come to a standstill at that yeah. point as if yeah as if everything started then so i'd like to see there be more recognition of arabic literature in general um global 
literature outside of the Western world. Yeah, I mean, there's a popular mythology about slam culture. It started in 1987 in Chicago's Green Mill Tavern, and I fed into it. I absolutely believed it. And it's only when you start looking underneath things and looking further and further, you realise that slam culture has been going on for about a thousand years (laughs) and was an integral part of Indian culture and and Persian culture and these things, you know, that you would send poets into battle before the battle started. So I think it's a really very, very important to kind of make these acknowledgements because you learn so much and that increases your own ability to write and understanding of it. That's so amazing that what you've just said there and I I feel like that is uh, an important example of what you're saying that actually by trying to give SLAM um, a birthplace of the near Mm. uh, past it's just attempting to look at it as a sort of unacademic or um, something separate from literature or um, it's like a new thing it's for young people it's this and that but actually if we if every time it was mentioned it came with a little bit of that context of that historical Mm. importance it'd be harder and harder to just keep on um, siphoning it off into precisely and dumbing dumbing it down culturally as though it's just got to be this is what the stupid people do (laughs) for money um now, the, we're at a really, I think, crucial, interesting time in in terms of poetry. Because um, when I began as a poet, um, it was very clearly separated into two camps. There were real poets, and then there was us, Scruffy, the illiterati. We were in the corner <laughs> of the room learning to write um, with the ends of our cigarettes, you know. And so now, clearly, there are two camps, and one is poetry and one is spoken word. And um, I say it's a critical and really interesting time because that is changing. Can you give a little bit about your feelings about this, um, this day, these definitions, whether they're real or not to you? Yeah, well, they're definitely not real to me, even though I can see where they come from. Like most definitions, you can see why and how they've been created, but I don't necessarily agree with them I I think the main thing that I don't agree with is not really the definition but it's more the hierarchy of difference Mm. that's given to those definitions Uh, like difference in general is not a bad thing Um, but it seems that we're obsessed not just in literature but just in life with having to order those differences in a hierarchical no completely form and and then only allowing the top couple to to have a mainstream importance or not not mainstream actually not like commercial mainstream but just a sort of critical importance yeah so spoken word Mm. is working class literature and poetry is for real clever people (laughs) really interestingly i spoke to an american girl who is living here now and is a poet and she was totally flabbergasted by this definition because she said that in america part of america that she's from which i don't know where that is um that spoken word meant the opposite that actually spoken word meant something that the quite posh rich white kids did in the colleges um while they were studying and they kind of did it because they couldn't rap (laughs) (laughs) what she thought it was so i was like that's really funny because i've always thought of it as um the opposite really here yeah um so it shows how obviously those definitions Um, don't have an absolute i've been here long enough to have seen the way that the definitions have changed so that when i began as a 15 year old 30 years ago 
It was performance poetry. It was Attila the Stockbroker, yeah. John Cooper Clark, Jules, people like that. And then it became, um, after that, we went into live literature for a while, which I really liked because it made me feel quite clever and fabulous. And we got to play things like the ICA instead of just at the back of the Betsy Trotwood, you know, pub. So um, I think, I think we're at a really interesting time in which these two you know, artifices, these two mm. creations are meeting in the middle so that Definitely. traditionally the people who are spoken word artists are being freed up to kind of um, delve deeper into language and equally those people who are normally confined to a page are thinking about audiences and are thinking about the way that... Do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely agree with that. I think it's been really interesting to see nights that would usually have had a, a very performance orientated artists um, there and start to mix up the programming of those mm. and to have people who traditionally be th thought of as page poets on stage with um, performance poets and, and seeing that actually that definition a lot of the time really is an artifice because so many of the of the page poets as you said have really started to look at different ways of, of performing of reading yeah. their their work, which they might not necessarily think of as a performance, but it's definitely a reading that goes beyond a sort of monotone um, delivery of their work. And I think that's been happening for a while, you know, like Simon Armitage or like so many people have, have yeah. done that for such a long time, but it does feel that now there's more of a... a it's more of a generalised yeah. movement and you can, there's a, as a such, I think, a higher expectations. I think one of the... Obviously, in the last, I think, decade, particularly in the last six years, spoken word clubs, I'm still calling it, sorry, poetry clubs around the whole of the UK have, um, have, have bred. There are so many different ones than that. And I think the forefront of that for me is one in London called Outspoken. Now, what's really interesting to me about Outspoken is that they limit the sets people have so I think everyone just gets like a 15 minute set which means you can mix together people who are normally confined to a page or normally considered uh, the ones shouting at the back of the pub along with amazing musicians but the other really interesting thing is that they've set up a press you decided for your new collection to go with Outspoken a small independent press why is that? What's exciting about Outspoken press is that aesthetically and and might sound a bit shallow but aesthetically the way that they lay out their poems or allow you to lay out your poems mm. is something that it just looks really nice and it looks how you as the writer want it to look which I, I think so you feel more control in that yeah kind of... there's more control in that process and I think that's probably across the board with with small publishers you do get a bit more input into how everything is done um which is one of the huge advantages of it and also i just love the fact that they're really looking to publish different voices and different styles but give all of those different styles um equal importance yeah um and I, and I think that's really great and and they're looking to publish people who don't necessarily have a big following but they're going to publish them anyway and i yeah. think that's good so if you wouldn't mind, Sabrina, I was wondering if you could read um, one of your poems from How You Might Know Me. I'm going to read one from the character of Sylvia. Sylvia is a 62-year-old woman who lives in London, um, is from London, and um, she has uh, just been proposed to by her long-term boyfriend, and this is her response. 
why I can't marry you. You tell me I'm a good woman, and I think I've known many good women. They've sprung from mattresses as gravel rains through windows, scratching bedside clocks. They've taken clothes off to dress another's wounds, not put them on again unless it healed. They've swilled words in mouths till tumours have triumphed. Still, they never spat. They've cleaned arms of old men who only ever washed with belt-buckled whiskey breath. They've laid on paper in blue biro, making brick seem as kickable as cotton wool used on eyes. They've bled tequila on dance floors to move better to the sound of never being good enough. Because they never are good women. You will find them alone in pockets of a world never tailored to fit them. You will find them alone in rooms ornamented with faces that never come to call. You will find them, and when you do, they will be good to you. And before you leave, you will say, you are a good woman. And she will nod, as if it is enough to be good without being loved. Wow. Thank you very much for coming in. Sabrina Malfouz, whose new collection, How You Might Know Me, is released next week, 26th of October, on Outspoken Press. Thank Thank you. you.